Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we continue in our series looking at searching for meaning and purpose under the sun without God. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes will help us see that another empty well is the allure and addiction to riches. We'll discover that true riches are not found in the amassing of earthly possessions and that Jesus offers us a freedom from the rat race that is attained by finding fullness in God alone. Well, thanks for joining us as we examine our epidemic of discontentment when we try to live without God in our lives. Well, I get to serve as the 7th and 8th grade football coach in Kingsford. And uh, one of the things that I've discovered as a coach is that when, uh, when the team is uh, looking a little sloppy, do you know what gets them right in line real quick? Running laps. <laughs> running laps gets them focused right now. Here's one of the consequences of running laps, though. I find every one of them is <gasps> sucking wind and needing a drink. And so one of the best things that we tell the kids to bring is one of these right here. Make sure you do not forget your water bottle when you're coming to practice, especially in the game. However, there's a problem with these. Does anyone know what it is? When it's gone, it's gone. That's right. That is the problem with the water bottle. Boy, it sure seems like it'll satisfy in the temporary, right? You put your lot of hope in uh, giving you relief right now unless it's empty. And so on the other side of the field, right off in the corner, there's an old water line there. And it's got pretty good pressure. When you open it up, she's praise right out there. And what do the boys do when they're out of water in their water bottles? You know where they go? Ah, they go to the source because that never runs dry. It's always flowing, always flowing and actually have a hard time saying, come on back to practice, come on back because they're getting all they want out of the, out of the water spigot. You know, uh, in our world today, uh, we have a very close analogy between these two comparisons. Uh, there's something in our lives that think that we need to chase them down and they will satisfy. And when we look at riches and abundance in our life, uh, the problem is it's deceptive. It's just like this water bottle. Uh, the riches that we can garner for ourselves on earth run out. Jesus tells uh, his disciples this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then he lists what happened to them where... Thieves can steal where rust can rot and where the little bugs, moths can eat away at them. Instead, he says, store up for yourselves treasures where? Treasures in heaven. Um, Jesus himself is a source for us, a treasure in and of himself that will never run dry. And we need to be very careful as we live in this world that we don't become deceived into thinking that there are other treasures that can replace Jesus because every one of them will either be stolen, rust, or be destroyed, but not so with Jesus. As, as we've been in this series called Chasing After the Wind, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes takes overview over the many different subjects and spheres of life and asks the question, will they satisfy and repeatedly, again and again, each week we find out, in fact, they do not. His conclusion for this is the Hebrew word hevel, which means meaningless. It's, it's vanity. 
It, it is a, it's a vain striving and working because no matter your effort, it will not produce what it promised. And for today, the subject that we're going to look at is the subject of riches and how you and I both are tempted to chase after and amass for ourselves whatever measure of fortune that you and I can find Uh, we, through the lens of the book of Ecclesiastes, are going to find out once more, do they satisfy? And is there another instruction that we need to learn to live by so that we're careful not to find ourselves like the boys with the empty water bottle just trying to to get something out of it when there's really nothing there left left to be found? We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes starting in chapter 5, and we're going to work through a few passages into chapter 6. So there are many verses strewn throughout the book that I could choose, but there's this one beautiful section right in the middle, and we're just going to try to take a big old bite out of it today. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, page 955 in the Pew Bibles. invite you to follow along as I'll read, and then we're going to work through a handful of observations. The teacher says, Starting in verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the land. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit do they have to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of the owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since his since he toils for the wind. All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and to be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. I've seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavy on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor, so he lacks nothing his heart desires. But God does not enable him to enjoy them. And a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, 
I say a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness, its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place? All right, this... This is our section uh, today, and as we're going to kind of piece our way through it, I want to try to highlight some of the themes that the writer gives us for how riches are seen in perspective as those who are only looking under the sun. As we take a purview of the world without God, do riches deliver? Do they they honestly satisfy in the way that they promised? Um, the first thing I want us to make sure that we understand here is that we're looking at a kind of riches that are seen without God. So these are the riches that you can earn yourself. These are those that bring glory back to you and you alone. The first thing we'll see is that godless riches will increase when we fear man more than we fear God. I want to just highlight real quick, you will never read a sentence like that at a health, wealth, prosperity church. Like, that is, that is exactly the opposite message from what they are preaching. Um, however, this is 100% true. Um, godless riches will increase. Your checking account will increase the more you fear man and the less that you fear God. Now, part, part of what I'm needing to make sure that you're catching right here at the beginning is the word riches. Uh, because you may be thinking, well, you know, doesn't God promise also to uh, fill up the harvest? Isn't that in the Bible, too, for those who give cheerfully? Well, we would need to take a little extra time. In fact, my Wednesday morning Bible study would be a great question for us to dive into a little bit more. Because it all depends on what we mean by riches. It all depends on what we mean by riches. Jesus tells an example or you know, makes an observation as he's sitting outside the temple as a widow comes and drops in two little coins. Tink, tink, that's it. And walks away and Jesus says, she gave more than anyone else. And I can only imagine the disciples think that Jesus is really bad at math. <laughs> because clearly other people gave more. And yet Jesus recognizes that riches here are not seen in the abundance of wealth. That's not what makes a person rich. And so here as we're examining this, I'm going to pull this observation directly from the scriptures. Look with me back in verses 8 and 9. The teacher says, if you see the poor oppressed and justice and rights denied, don't let that surprise you. Why? Why Why should that not surprise you? He gives us the answer. Here's why. Every official's eyed by one above them. There's always a kickback that goes up the chain right to the very tippy top we see in verse 9 for the king himself profits from the land. Now, as I'm making this observation here, I just to do my uh, due diligence, want to make sure that I recognize commentators are a little confused on this passage. They're, They're a little bit confused. Some think that what this means is that you don't need to be concerned when you see injustice because there's a series of hierarchies to make sure that that's taken care of. I don't think that's the right interpretation of this. I don't think that's what he's saying. Instead, what I believe he's saying is that the reason why it shouldn't surprise you that the poor are oppressed is because who's taking advantage of the poor? 
Exactly. The people who go right up the chain above them. The reason why I believe that's the right interpretation is because if you look with me in verse 10, immediately the context tells us that it's all about the love of money. It's all about the love of money. Uh, there was, maybe you remember this, in the 1970s, uh, the New York Police Department had a huge uh, sting operation from within for internal corruption. Uh, Frank, uh, I should have wrote his name down. I'm going to forget it now. Scaparo, Serpico, yeah, thank you, Serpico. You got, thank you. You remember some of this? Uh, Frank Serpico, uh, he he was the whistleblower on this. And then, as one started to fall, the whole chain of events, the whole house of cards fell down, and a complete reform happened there within the NYPD. Why? Well, what was happening? One official above was getting a kickback, and so whew, we kept it hush hush with the one above us because he would get a kickback, and pretty soon, all the way up to the top, you had corruption, which kept whoever was down at the bottom right down there at the bottom. I remember my uncle, who worked as an undercover uh, detective in the narcotics uh, down in um, Nina Manasha area. I remember him telling me at one point he did a drug bust. And after they arrested the perps, uh, he was left there with his partner and a suitcase full of over $100,000 cash. And I remember he and his partner kind of looked at each other because nobody knew. They were the only ones. They were the only ones who knew. Is that true? Who, who else knows? You see, you see the problem of looking just under the sun? Yeah, you, you, you'll think, as long as I take care to grease the skids of whoever might tattle on me... I'm going to be all set. We'll be taken care of. And you know what will happen? You will get rich if you fear man and you don't fear God. But it's not true riches. What kind of riches is it? It's godless riches. And this is exactly the first observation that I see coming from this. Uh, Best example I know of in the New Testament for this is found in Matthew's gospel, repeated in Luke's gospel, but it's the devil. The devil comes to Jesus to tempt him. He tempts him because he's hungry. Forty days, folks. Forty days. Turn those rocks into bread. You look hungry, Jesus. Jesus quotes scripture and says, man does not live by bread alone. All right, take him to the high point of the temple. If you jump off here, ah, Psalm 91 teaches that God will keep your heel from striking a rock because he will uh, dispatch his angels to protect you. Jesus says, you don't put your Lord God to the test. And then this one, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. Can you imagine the riches? Can you imagine the wealth promised to Jesus? Look, all of it, all of it, it's right here. Just take it. It's all there. All the riches of earth. If only you worship who? The devil says me. If only you will just bow down to me and not worship the true God. So godless riches for Jesus would have done what? Increase or decrease? All he had to do is worship the devil. Pay no attention to God. Look under the sun. As long as he has more fear of man, as long as he has more fear not of the true living God, what will riches do? Up or down? They'll keep going up. So that's the first thing that I see here from this text. Secondly, godless riches are addictive and they will never deliver contentment. Godless riches are addictive and they never deliver contentment. Look with me in verse 10. The writer says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Man, I love it. I just got to get a little bit more. John D. Rockefeller, right? Remember the quote? How much money is enough? How much? Just a little bit more. 
when you love money, you'll be addicted to money. Uh, we, we have a word for these kinds of people. They're called workaholics. Yeah, they're, they're, they're addicted in the same way that alcohol is addictive. And if you succumb to that, you're called an alcoholic. If you are addicted to money and riches, you'll continue to work for it and work for it. And you become a workaholic. I, I've never ran into a situation, though, if the uh, boss pulled him into the office and said, hey, we're not paying you anymore. Would they, would they come back to work the next day? It really wasn't work. It was what? It was a love of money. Godless riches are addictive. They will keep you chasing that carrot. But they never deliver. Look with me at the next line. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Paul tells Timothy this in one of his first letters uh, to, the, to the young pastor. He says, but godliness... With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Where do you suppose Paul got that idea from? Book of Ecclesiastes, right? We're going to get to that. It's our next observation. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Where do you think Paul got that idea? Food and clothing. Do you remember our passage Lois read for us? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things. Don't worry about food. The, the, uh, the, the, the birds, they don't store up barns of food. God feeds them. The flowers, they don't labor and spin and buy things off the rack. The flowers, they look beautiful. How? Because God clothes them. So if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Make sure we catch that. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says what? The love of money is the root of all evil. We'll get to that in one of our later observations as well. This is the line that I think is really dangerous though. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Godless riches are addictive and they will not deliver uh, a contentment of heart. They will not satisfy. Third is this. Godless riches will control you. Uh, the best word for this is slavery. Look with me back in the text again. Verse 11. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit do they have to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats a little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Not my words. I'm reading to you God's words. If you are rich on this earth, you need to be very careful. Because your riches won't be owned by you, but you will be owned by your riches. They will control you. So when you get that second lake property or you build whatever other house or you get whatever you can tow behind the truck, whatever that is, hey, you got to take care of it now. And as you lay your head on the bed at night pretty soon, oh, but did I shut off the thing and the, the pay the taxes are due coming up? Was it this week, by the way? Yeah, yeah. See, you see what happens? And pretty soon, the more you have, the more it has you. You actually become a slave to your possessions, a slave to your money when, it's, when they're godless, when they're godless riches. Uh, Jesus presents it this way in Matthew 6, just before the passage we read. He says, no one can serve two masters. Notice he's talking about slavery here. 
Can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, you can serve God. Uh, Paul himself calls himself a, a slave to Christ, right? Because he's our master. He's our Lord. But you can't have two masters. And if you are consumed by godless riches, they will control you. Number four, godless riches will deceive you into thinking that they, the riches, are your legacy. This one, I think, is particularly um, Grievous, even as our writer helps us see in verse 13. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some of fortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. What's that son think? Oh, come on now. My parents didn't leave me anything. Well, yeah. Do you, do you, do you see the danger? In fact, uh, Jesus, I don't think I have this verse uh, for you, but uh, J- Jesus will at one point become accosted by uh, this man who says, hey, teacher, I want you to serve as an arbitrator between uh, me and my brother to talk about who gets the inheritance. You remember the story you've, you've heard in the Gospels? Basically, Jesus' response is, be very careful of greed, because he can see right through it. He said, who, who made me arbitrator between you two? So when inheritance shows up in the New Testament, is it a good thing? Doesn't show up as a good thing at all. In fact, I would ask you this. Have you ever seen any family, show of hands, family squabbles when it comes to inheritance? Just put your hand up there. Yeah, yeah. What's the, uh, what's it over? It, did, did Chris and Nicole, did you guys raise your hand? Oh my goodness. We just got too real at church. Uh, Listen, when, when parents uh, pass away, uh, the children aren't fighting over who got mom's nose and who, and who got, you know, dad's strong back, right? What are they fighting over? Money. Right? That's what it is. Because why? Godless riches will deceive you into thinking that's your legacy. That's not your legacy. That's not the treasure that you pass on to your children. Uh, Look with me in the text. I'm not making this up. Verse 15. Naked a mother comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. You you could leave all you want for them, and do they get to take it with them? No, they don't. There, There are other things, however, that you can invest, other kinds of riches that you can pour into your children that have nothing to do with money, Maybe those are the kind of riches that we should be pursuing. All right, uh, this verse from James, I just find this very helpful. James says, now the believer of humble means, so poor, think poverty right now. That believer should take pride in his high position, but the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because he will pass away like a wildflower in a meadow. For the sun rises and its heat dries it up in the meadow. The petal and the flower falls off. Its beauty is lost forever. So also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will wither away. Godless money, godless riches will deceive you into thinking that that really is your inheritance. Here was the verse that I was looking for a moment ago in uh, Luke 12. Uh, Teacher, tell, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He says, who appointed me? Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds 
of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Ooh, that's helpful. You can write that one down. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Number five, chasing godless riches will leave you frustrated, afflicted, and angry. Verse 16 out of chapter 5, he says, This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? Here's what he gains. Verse 17, you ready? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is the result of godless riches. Uh, Jesus speaking through Paul's message to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he he gives you a kind of antidote here. I love this one. He says, uh, in everything I did, this is Paul, by the way, saying, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. What would Jesus say? It's more blessed to, to give than to receive. That word blessed means happy. Like you will have this satisfaction. You have this fulfillment deep within you that can't be taken away. Not when you toil for riches. You're slave to your riches. But when you can give them away because they don't hold any power over you. You you can be generous and you can give. You will be more happy. But not so this man in verse 17. He eats in darkness with great frustration, anger, and affliction. And so that's what chasing godless riches will produce in your life. Now, come on, be honest. Have you ever had this moment in your life? Have you, have you ever had a time in your life when money is tight? Don't pretend like you're so spiritual that you trust God perfectly all the time, right? I know what it's like. Sometimes it's hard. Let me ask you the question. How are you to your spouse in those moments? Right? Frustrated? Angry? Do you know that money is the number two reason, number one or number two, why people get divorced. It's either number one or it's number two. I can't remember which it is, but money right up there at the top because chasing godless riches will not produce happiness and blessing and fulfillment. Giving it away will, incidentally. It's amazing how the kingdom of God is such a reversal, isn't it? Number six, godless riches reveal a heart issue. There's that. The, the problem is actually... Not on the surface. It's deep down. It's, it's right down to the core. And this is why we said earlier, it's not a problem with having money. It's a problem with what? Oh, did I lose you already? Come on, say it. Loving money, right? It's a heart problem. Let me just show you in the text where this shows up in chapter 6. So turn with me there. 6 verse 1. He says, I've seen an evil under the sun. It weighs heavy on men. Watch this in verse 2. God gives a man wealth. Possessions and honor. Man, lucky, lucky guy, right? Look, look at what God gave him. In fact, the text says, so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. Well, that sounds pretty good, don't it? God, God gave me everything my heart desires. But keep reading because you'll see the problem in just a moment. But God does not enable him to enjoy them. Primary reason is because he has not classified them as God-given riches. Though they are... The failure to do so means you will fail to enjoy them, even if you have everything your heart desires. You know some of the richest people are some of the unhappiest people on this planet? Do you know who some of the happiest people are? I lived among them for 15 years when I served in the Caribbean. I mean, <laughs> dirt poor. Electricity's on today is a good day, right? Um, they are behind on all their bills. And do you know what? They have a song in their heart. They love their family. 
man, I thought you had to, I thought you had to have a 401k to be happy. <laughs> they, they, they prove that wrong. Because godless riches, what they do is they really reveal that there's something going on deeper than the checking account. This, out of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided where? In your heart. Because riches are not a matter of what you have or don't have. They're a matter of what has you where your heart is in the issue. So this is how you to give. Give what you've decided because it's not under reluctance or compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. All right, number seven, last one as we wrap it up is this. Godless riches are useless in the grave. This was our final section in verse three of chapter six. A man may live a hundred years. Oh no, a man will have a hundred children and live many years. Yet no matter how long he lives, he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial. I say the stillborn child. Do you see the comparison? The, the, the miscarried child. I'm really thankful for this verse for a completely different reason that has to do with the salvation of the unborn. We could talk about that at Bible study sometime as well. But here, this is contrasted by the teacher to say, the one who has nothing at all has more rest than the one who had barns filled with riches. Why? Because both end up ultimately where? In the dirt. In the dirt. What good is your money in the dirt? Any hope? Any hope? Right? Have you ever heard a person on their deathbed in their final moment say, you know, I wish I just had 40 bucks. <laughs> maybe, maybe, give, maybe they give me a promotion. Right? Last moments. No. Your money is useless to you in the grave. It's useless. Those kinds of riches you will find yourself having spun and toiled your hands to the bone what? What's the word? It's meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. All right. So what do we do? There's a passage in the New Testament in John chapter 4. Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. I have the text here on the screen. I'd like to read it for you because I want you to see how we can reclaim riches so that they are God-given. The Samaritan woman came and said to him, You're a Jew, for I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and so did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Right? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is the source of satisfaction and contentment for those who know him. He gives riches that can never spoil, fade, be stolen, rust, or disappear. We need to make sure that as Jesus being our treasure, all of our earthly possessions fall now under the banner of his lordship. And when you do so, you will see what riches are in a completely different light.
Let me give you an example that we get directly from our text. So let me start with this. When Jesus is your treasure, that's the condition on this. When Jesus is your treasure, then God-given riches are found in the enjoyment of the means, not in the enjoyment of the end. Look with me in the text back in chapter 5, starting in verse 18. The writer says, Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Enjoy life. Enjoy it. Enjoy your work, not because it gives you a paycheck, but because you do it with Jesus. Think of, think of your life alone, because you could. You could pursue all of this alone, but you will not find satisfaction. Or you can do it with Jesus right beside you. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever ate at a restaurant by yourself? It's a little sad, isn't it? Nobody there with you. <laughs> or, or how about gone to an amusement park and rode on a roller coaster by yourself? Right? Well, what is life alone? But lacking something, you can have life right now with Jesus. In fact, this is the message that comes uh, in John chapter 17. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. He doesn't say this will be eternal life. He doesn't say this is what you need to aim at in the future. He says it is right now. This is eternal life that they may know you and the, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You can have it now. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes identifies the same thing for us. Stop trying to pine and work and toil for the end and enjoy life right now. The means, the journey, it's not just the destination that matters. Secondly is this, God-given riches are a gift. That's the key word there. They're a gift that, and I have three things from the text. Number one, that are enjoyed as given from God's hand, that are accepted as God-determined rewards, and that are received with a fulfillment by finding fulfillment in my work. Let me take you back to the text so you can identify these three things there as well. Verse 19, he says, Moreover, when God gives any man wealth, so where does it come from? God gives it. When God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, that's it. That's, that's it right there. The first is a gift that comes from whose hand? So in, accept it that way. Realize that's where it comes from. This is a gift from God. Secondly, he says, allows them to enjoy them, to accept his lot. That's, again, that Hebrew word that means your portion. This is, this is what you get. Oh, boy, we live, in a, we live in a difficult time, church. We live in a time where the word equity is tossed around. Has anyone heard that recently in the news? Probably a year old now, but it's, it's rose right up in the zeitgeist of our dictionary vocabulary. Do you know what equity means? Everybody gets what? Everybody gets the same. It needs to be redistributed so that everybody gets the same. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, it teaches that God has diversified things so it's not even. But then you get the chance to freely give and share with those who have less. Those who have less, though, shouldn't covet what you have. The Bible warns us against this as well. And so we need to be careful that we recognize God is the one who has determined our portion. And that is a reward for us. And it's different for different people. Thirdly, and it's the last one here, it says to accept it, uh, to accept, it, accept his lot and be happy in his work. The text does not say happy from his work. Do you know there's a difference? 
happy in your work versus happy from your work. One of them looks at the means. One of them looks at the end. Right here, you're going to find yourself chasing godless riches if all you're looking for is a paycheck. But God has given you the chance to enjoy life right now because you carry Jesus with you while you work. And so you find fulfillment by not eating alone or riding the roller coaster alone, but by making Jesus your treasure. Third and lastly is this. Oh, I got a text in here for this, by the way. This is beautiful. Uh, From Paul again to Timothy. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. I love that last phrase. The life that's truly life. Because everything under the sun is a lie. It's offered as life. It's it's offered as something that will satisfy. But what happens when you drink it up? What good is it now? It's gone. That was it. There's no more. When it's out, it's out. You need to draw from a well that you'll never be thirsty again. You need to draw from the well that will bring satisfaction. And so we need to be careful how we look at riches. Lastly, here's here's the final one. God-given riches will insulate you from a meaningless life. This shows up for us in verse 20. He says, he seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. I've met people like this. I am not by nature one of those people. I need a message like this. I need to submit myself to the authority of God's word and come under the simplicity of finding contentment with godliness because he has promised to give me food. He has promised to give me clothing. He knows that if I seek him first, all these other things will be taken care of. And do you know what the topic of that was, Lois? I don't mean to put you on the spot here. She was reading out of Matthew 6, right? What is the command... At the beginning, do not worry. Say aloud. Don't worry. Don't worry. What is it that keeps the rich man up at night? Worry. Hmm. Worry. But do you know what God-given riches do? They insulate you from worry. Because you have received Jesus as your treasure and you'll never lose Jesus. Amen? So as I, as I wrap this up, I want to give you just a, a way of kind of doing some self-diagnosis here. So in your sermon notes, you'll have, you have a couple of these lines here. I'm just going to read through them. I would encourage you to give an honest answer. One or two that are off are maybe is not emblematic of a problem in your life. But if you answer consistently in the wrong way to these questions, you may have godless riches. Or you might have God-given riches. Here's one way that you can determine them. Yes or no. Is my money governed by a fear of men or a faith in God? How would you answer that? I, I guess that should be my money is governed. That's a yes or no question. Secondly, am I frequently discontent with my possessions? Yes or no? Uh, Apple's holding a new event this week. Don't know if you guys knew that. You guys don't even care. That's awesome. I love it. That's the world, though. The world around us. Uh, don't like what you have. You need something better faster. Number three, I'm, uh, am I preoccupied with serving and loving money? Fourthly, am I frequently frustrated and afflicted and angry with decisions about money? Uh, Fifthly, when I give, do I tend to give with reservations and conditions? Like, I'll give, but only if it's used this way. Because something's controlling you in that instance. Um, If you answered yes 
consistently to these, I would warn you, I think you might have godlessness in your riches. Five other questions, though. Let's look at the flip side. Is your work a joy? You are able to just find like, huh, Jesus is with me today, even on a crummy day. I could be cleaning the bathroom, and Jesus is with me. My work is a joy. Uh, do I have enough? Do I have enough? Remember, godliness with contentment is riches. That's great gain. Uh, do I unite my work with God? H- have I seen God as the giver of these things, that I'm, I'm connecting what I do all day long with Jesus in my life? Number, this is the biggest one. Can you say, Jesus is my reward? This is one of, I think, the gravest thing, most grievous things that happens with Christians in the church. What are you looking forward to in heaven? Man, I get streets of gold in heaven, right? There's a mansion built for me in glory. I get to go up there and it's going to be, I'm going to sip tea all day and sit on the porch. It's going to be fantastic. There is no porch in heaven, you guys. There's no mansion either. I, I, you ask me that at Bible study. I'll tell you the correct translation of the uh, Greek word mone and where that comes from. It means abode and dwelling place. Listen, your treasure needs to be Jesus. And if your treasure is Jesus, oh, will you be satisfied in heaven? You will find, you will, you'll have absolutely everything you desire when Jesus is your treasure. But you guys get the point how that's a problem in churches today? Riches, even riches in heaven tend, tend to be the thing that people are looking forward to and not Jesus. All right, lastly, am I generous by faith with my money? Uh, if, if your money is something that controls you, you are a slave to it. Do you know how you break those shackles? It's real easy. Give your money away. It has no control over you. And I promise you this. I'll end on this. You cannot outgive God. Amen? You can't outgive God. It's all his. Anyways, it's all his. Make sure that we're not looking at our riches under the sun, but make Jesus your treasure. And when he is, you will have those riches shifted now to be God-given so that you can enjoy it as your reward, as delivered by his hand, and find fulfillment in your work. Let's pray.